Welcome to the OLAC podcast about capacity building through the development of professional capital. Our main focus is what capacity building looks like in practice. And so we're joined by a district that has reached the point of putting it all together. From the Pickerington Local Schools, we have Assistant Superintendent Bob Blackburn, Director of Teaching and Learning, Sharon Cachamelio, Director of Instructional Technology, Brian Seymour, and Assistant Superintendent of Human Resources, Zach Howard. We're also joined by Lynn McCann, Director of State Support Team Region 1, and Rhonda Dixon, Director of State Support Team Region 11, who will share their thoughts about the remarks from Pickerington. A word about why we're doing this podcast. Professional Capital is an idea proposed in 2012 by change leaders Michael Fullen and Andy Hargraves. Their idea combines insights from work on organizational development, professional development, internal accountability, and systems learning. What Fullen and Hargraves did was to pull together the theory. And what's going on in Pickerington, though mindful, is practical, not theoretical. Their mindful capacity building combines three things. One, what Pickerington educators individually know and can do. Two, using OIP collaborative teams to bring educators together around a common vision and mission. And three, providing teams with lots of practice in making good decisions together. It's easy to say and easy to remember. Individual know-how, working together, and the habit of making good decisions. Doing the work itself is much harder. Fullen and Hargraves call these three things human capital, individual know-how, social capital, collaboration, and decisional capital, good decisions. The combination is professional capital. Maybe that's too many kinds of capital, maybe too much theory. What does capacity building through the development of professional capital look like in practice? Seeing how Pickerington has put capacity building into practice is the point of the podcast. One final thing, like any sort of capital, professional capital is meant to grow. Once the three things are working together, as in Pickerington, professional capital itself becomes the basis for organizational capacity. Districts that put it together are capable of doing more and more for their students, their teachers, and their communities. Let's hear from our guests. Well, first, thank you all for making time for this. I, I greatly appreciate it. And Jim Gay is singing your praises here as a district. We wanted to focus in particular on the area of professional capital, how you get all the adults coming together, moving in the same direction to support whatever you've identified as, you know, those focused district priorities around teaching and learning. So let's start and maybe talk a little bit about Pickerington City Schools as an organization, your demographics, your mission, vision, your goals for improving. We have 10,866 students. We're, we're a growing district. We have 15 buildings. We have seven elementary buildings, three middle schools, and two traditional high schools. Uh, 9 through 12, and one alternative high school. Our district has grown over the years, and one example of that would be our English learner population. And at this point, we have 59 different languages represented in our schools. 
We have a lot of support for students with disabilities, and it's gotten out there that people know that we will be supportive. Yeah, we've seen over the last 10 years a pretty significant mm -hmm. increase in our special needs population mm -hmm. because people move here to receive those services. What is Pickerton about? You know, what do you believe? What are you here for? So several years ago, we did develop the vision and mission statement. The mission being our mission is to provide an engaging, innovative, and holistic experience that empowers all students to become responsible, productive citizens. The vision, we aspire to be the school district of choice, improving our community and society by opening doors and providing opportunities for every child every day. Since that time, we've gone from what was a strategic plan to what we now call a plan for progress. And basically, what we found is that that plan for progress is really driving all of the work that we're doing. The main goal of the academic pillar is the idea of moving our instruction and learning into the 21st century, if you want to say that. It's really broken down into four different categories. The first one is the idea of personalized learning, really trying to get at what each kid needs, and that involves a lot of blended learning, also going one-to-one. -one. The second one is the whole child and relationships, the quality relationship between the, the student and the teacher, really building that up. The third one then is authentic experiences. For example, one of the things I was just working on was um, working on providing coursework for kids to be able to earn industry level credentials. So that way they can use that as one, as a pathway for graduation, but then also be able to graduate with one of these credentials and walk right into the workforce. And then the last one, uh, the last area is professional learning. We're trying to get away from the idea of professional development and move into professional learning. Uh, we joke, nobody wants to wake up in the morning and. Uh, say they want to be developed. So uh, so really trying to enhance that and give choice, voice, make it relevant, make it something they can take back to the classroom and use right away. We're also looking at where, where are those gaps at? Are kids struggling? A lot of that has been done with adaptive software. We've been able to see through some of our adaptive mm -hmm. things already, you know, it's one, two, one, two grade progress. levels in a semester so far. So it's been incredible to see those changes. We really wanted to focus on continuous improvement. Because we know that, you know, things change. And at one point in time, I think we had a difficult time um, describing how we achieved success. Because we had a lot of students that came in with great knowledge. We might may have been a part of it, but we may not have been, you know. So it was trying to decide what are those things in a system that we can do to assure that all students are achieving and, and succeeding. So that's really where the plan for progress comes in and where using the Ohio improvement process comes in for us. So let's talk about that piece. How has your use of that supported you in creating a culture of collaborative professionalism in order to make meaningful improvements on behalf of all kids? Just the work of the TBTs and the BLT and the DLT has been a game changer for us. I'll start with the TBTs. Our teachers can use the data that they're getting from assessments or anything qualitative that they might be using. And they can see that their work is indeed showing growth and change in kids' learning, which is really what it's all about. They're taking on leadership roles because they're asked to facilitate different learning sessions. What I've seen in my years here is that we just are now sharing more things Folks have more confidence in what they're able to do 
because when they sit together and talk, they find out that, wow, this is a really good idea. Uh, this was a great strategy that I used. Um, they see the benefit, I think, when they're working together. Um, they share ideas, and that hasn't always been what's happened in education. It was kind of close the door, I'll do my own thing, and sometimes even if I was really good, I still didn't want to share that. Um, and now I think that that that's sharing is really part of the everyday life. They're bringing in student work and talking about, you know, using rubrics and showing that work against a rubric and how would you score this and how would you score this? And, and so even though grading has a long way to go, I think in public education, um, I think the calibration of the work is a good start. BLTs, supporting those TBTs, our BLT members are definitely teacher leaders, and so we're talking about instructional leadership. It's not just the principal or the assistant principals or the coaches, but it's our teachers. They're sharing across the levels when they get together in the BLT. We've got some BLTs that are visiting other TBTs and sharing those ideas. So it's just a whole picture of collaboration. They're doing walkthroughs, instructional rounds, mm -hmm. uh, providing feedback to teachers. It's not an evaluative process. They, they know that when they're going to those classrooms, there's certain focused areas that they're looking for, and then they're providing that information back to the, the BLTs who then share that information out to the TBTs. So it's a great structure that we have in place. The larger we've become, the harder it was to align our work. The OIP process is really aligned vertically and horizontally across our district. And it, it's been it's been neat to see. So it sounds like you did not approach getting involved with OIP and using it as a compliance activity. Can somebody talk a little bit about why you wanted to use it and how you didn't see it as compliance, but something that could help you get better across the system? We just weren't sure why we were getting the results we were getting. And if we wanted to get good results across the board, we had to have some systems that were in place. I can tell you that when we first started, we just dipped our toes in it and we just started with, let's collect some common data on some assessments that we put together and see how our kids are doing across the board. It was really interesting because as they saw how that worked, and how important it was to know about your students and where they were and how to move them from one area to the next, then it became something they wanted to do versus something they felt that they had to do. Now, I'm not gonna candy coat it. There's still some people that are going to look at it like this is just something you're making me do. But for the large part, if you were to talk to our teachers, I think they would tell you that it's given them great insight into their students, where their students are performing and how they can get them to the next level. Mm -hmm. Because there's names with that data. It's just not data. It, these are children. And I think that, that, you know, that would be in the forefront. So that's what it's done for the, for the teachers, right? Mm -hmm. And for the children. What, what's it done for the district? I was a classroom teacher here for 11 years um, before I stepped into the into this office role. Um, and I remember when I when I was teaching, I was handed a textbook, here's some lab supplies, and go for it. And that was about it. There was, you know, a, a staff meeting maybe once a month um, that had nothing to do with instruction. Uh, had to do with, hey, we need to order these beakers and these supplies and things like that. 
And now when I go out and see TBT meetings, it's talking about instruction. And we're getting down to the point where we're having discussions about implementations and teaching strategies. And it's not, hey, my kids didn't study. It's, hey, I didn't teach this right. Or we gave the same common assessment and Zach kids, Zach's kids knocked it out of the ballpark and my kids didn't do so well. So now instead of saying the question, my kids didn't study, I'm going to go to Zach and say, how did you teach this? What are some strategies that you used as opposed to blaming it on the kids? There's a lot more adult changes that we're starting to see happening. I guess I feel like it put a system in place that allowed us to make informed decisions for the district. You've got your TVTs who are looking at data, you know, a group of teachers working together, who are now reporting to the BLT. The, the BLT is looking at that information, looking at the different grade levels, what, what needs they have, what needs they have as a building, then they report back to the DLT. So now we have a system in place that says, okay, here's what we need for the district. So, so you've had that. You've had hiring things that have come out of this conversation. Point, yeah. You've had technology yeah. purchases that have come out. Curriculum changes yeah. have come from this. Scheduling, uh, we completely changed our secondary schedules based on yeah. some of the results every, that we're seeing. It pretty much drives everything. It does. How else would you get a district with 15 different buildings together to share what is happening in your building so that you could replicate that success? And that's what's happening, because when the BLTs report out at the DLT, we are hearing and seeing what is working in their buildings. And then we are sharing whatever it is that's working. I know I really appreciate the opportunity to go to colleges and universities to recruit new teachers. And I always hear from them, one of the first questions is, what kind of supports do you have in place for a new teacher? And I always bring up the OIP process because it's a great opportunity for teachers to know that they're going to come in and automatically be a part of a teacher-based team. Of course, we have the resident educator program for new teachers, but I really tout the use of the Ohio improvement process as a feather in our cap for new teachers. And I think the focus for the district, too, is that, you know, we always looked at student outcomes, but we didn't look at adult practices. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, as a group, we're looking at adult practices. Yeah. We're talking about the fact that the number one inequity is what happens from classroom to classroom. And so when we can take care, take that out of the picture, we've made a lot of progress. And that's what I see happening district-wide. We've kind of made that transition now where yeah. I think the first few years we were doing it, it was just looking at the student data and, and trying to make decisions based off of that. Now we're looking at, okay, we know what our focus is. What is the adult doing to make this happen? I think that helps really hold each other accountable for that as well. And I think the timing of implementing the OIP process also aligned really nicely with OTES, which is our new teacher evaluation system, where the principals are doing far more detailed evaluations and in the classrooms more. So one, they have an understanding of what's going on in the classrooms, and then they also have a better understanding because they're part of the, the, the uh, BLT, um, which is kind of, I won't say force, but made them progress from that building manager mm -hmm. to more of the instructional leader in the building. Our performance index has increased over the past four years from a 75.4% to 80%. Our overall progress has increased from a D to a B. And our overall gap closing has increased from 40.7% to 100%. Those are just some statistics. We can actually see the data for that. That's wonderful, and I was going to ask about that. So part of this is trying to, to build this collective instructional capacity, right? Can you talk a little bit more maybe about what do you look for in, in teachers in terms of making sure they can be 
effective collaborative team mm -hmm. participants. You hit the nail on the head there. We're looking for teachers that are willing to be collaborative. And we tell them, we don't expect you to come in and knock it out of the park. You're going to struggle early on. But what we want you to do is to be receptive to coaching and to you know embrace the Ohio improvement process and teacher-based teams by being collaborative. Sometimes we hire those teachers that have done their student teaching here, and they really have a leg up, I think, when they go to other districts because they've had a chance to be collaborative and part of a teacher-based team. I think other districts are starting to realize that the OIP process is well worth the time. We work really collaboratively with the, our teachers union too. And so even in our master agreement, we give our teachers time. Uh, that also came through the DLT. When we asked folks, what do you need to be more successful in working in your teams? They needed time. So if you want to make the process work, you have to be sure that you give the people the resources that they need to make it work because otherwise it's not going to. Our student information data team has also worked with our student information system. And so now our teachers have an early warning system too that helps flag students that may be at risk. We've talked a lot about OIP structures and how you've used it to develop the, the professional capital, right? And if somebody can speak to this idea of building professional capital and what that is. I think that it's approaching it with an understanding that, listen, we're, we're all in this together. You know, that the teachers, paraprofessionals, we're trying to increase their capacity in decision-making now, too, but that, you know, it's really a collaborative team approach. I think the biggest thing this structure has allowed us to do is have the time to be able to have those discussions, because before, we were teaching, 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 and then everybody go their own way, and you'd maybe meet once in a, once in a while. And I think the other big word on here that, that stands out to me is the idea of trust. And I believe that has taken us years to get to that, that ability to have these crucial conversations about teaching practice and the adult implementation. It wasn't there before, but it did take us years to get to that point. I mean, we've been doing this for, what do we say, six, seven years now. Um, and the first couple of years, we didn't have that. Um, but we were building that and building that idea of, you know what, if you try something new, you're not going to get in trouble because you tried something new. Let's learn from it, though, and, and be able to make it better the next time that we do that and be able to have those trusts and, and that um, ability to, to, to try to be successful. Some of the things that I've seen with BLTs that tell me that there's a lot of this <clears throat> happening is they're saying we would like a book study on this. They're identifying what learning they need. They're saying we need to have more time to work on this particular common assessment. They're telling us this particular job and uh, this particular embedded assessment isn't really measuring what we need it to measure. So why are we giving it? They are beginning to have those discussions and it doesn't have to come from a principal or a district office person. And and I think that that's really what it's about, Jan, don't which you they think haven't. That it's it's just been empowering. Oh, it's been to very all empowering. Our teachers, yeah. You know, information doesn't just flow from the top. Mm -hmm. It really makes its way to DLT. And now, when decisions are made, like Brian was saying, it's not like a decision was just made on high. They understand this is the direction we're going here, and they. Here's the reason why. There was a point in time when a teacher may not have wanted another teacher to take, quote, their students. Mm. 
to do work in a, in a group because these are my kids and, you know, I don't know what you know and I don't know what you're going to do. And now they're flexibly grouping and sharing students and, and working that way. So they're building that capacity and that's really what it's supposed to be about. And that capacity is professional capital because what we're doing is we're making sure that we're building the capacity of all of our staff uh, rather than just pockets of people. And to me, that that makes a big difference in how you proceed with everything you do. You've talked some more about how central office and principals are joining forces to build professional capacity across the system and maybe about where OLI4 might fit in and how you're using that. Why do you want all your principals in it, for example? I can start. We hold principal roundtables, and we just we call them roundtables. It's an opportunity for everybody to contribute to the agenda and find out what the professional development needs are. The other thing is that we've started, too, is we also have assistant principal roundtables. Um, we know that it's important, like Bob was saying, we've changed, uh, you know, their roles a great deal in the district to the point now where our assistant principals are educational leaders. They're, they're going into uh, teacher-based teams and working collaboratively with those teams. Since we had such success with coaching with the teachers, I think we believed that it was a good option for our principals. All 15 of our principals are involved in the OLI for what I'm hearing from all of our principals is just it's the it's just the best thing they've ever been involved in. I think they feel that um, they're hearing the same message because they're all there at the same time. They feel very validated in that um, they're getting that kind of support. I've gotten nothing but really great comments. It's just been a really interesting process. Uh, we've had some of the coaches, you know come to our DLT meetings and uh, give us some feedback. So it, we're all learning, and that's what it's really supposed to be about. We're getting to that point where it's not blaming and shaming or finger pointing. It's just how can we all get better at the same time. And I think when we first talked about the LLI4, we wanted everybody mm -hmm. involved because this is systematic across mm -hmm. our entire district. All of our principals serve on the DLT. So we wanted to be able to continue having those conversations, um, not just when they're at their training or when they're with their coach, but and, and truly make a big impact across the entire district. We really want this to be a systematic approach. Sharon, when we talked in December, you mentioned OLAC resources. Mm -hmm. And you talk about that? It's been a great help. When we began the OIP process, not very many people had been trained. And so we went to the OLAC site to use a lot of the modules, the videos, the webinars, and so forth to, to get good information, uh, to get the forms, ideas, suggestions, and so forth. In the meantime, became a lot more than that because we do BLT trainings four times a year. So a lot of the materials that we use with the BLT came from the OLAC. The one big game changer for us was when we did the non-negotiables, uh, Brian McNulty's non-negotiable webinar, because it really got them to thinking about what are those things that are so critical and so important to us that we need to put out there? What do we believe? And do we really all believe those things? There was some really good conversation that came out of that. Some really tough, tough conversations that came out of it. If a team put down you know, we believe 
that's all students can learn, for example, what does that look like? And how will we know that? And what doesn't it look like? And, and it was just really interesting. Don't put, then don't put down something if you don't really believe it, if you're not really going to stand on that. And then the DLT did their non-negotiables. And that was really interesting because, you know, we had to go through the same process. To me, that was a game-changing activity. Also, our teachers can use the work from the OLAC site. Uh, we got that approved for it. So, uh, yeah, it's a definite go-to. It's just been a great place to go. Well, I think one of the incredible things happened this year was, so Sharon has led most of the DLTs for a long time. And this year, we now have enough capacity from our principals that our principals are now leading some of the DLTs. So Sharon's not the main voice mm -hmm. being taught. Other people are adding to that. And I remember when we first got started, Sharon talked a lot. <laughs> in those DLT meetings. The other thing I love about it is that we have elementary principals in there with high school principals. And a good teaching strategy is a good teaching strategy regardless of what grade level it is. So the elementary is learning from the high school, the high school is learning from the elementary, and, and everybody is now at that point where we can have that um, incredible conversation about really transforming and, and making changes to what we need to do at the time. Well, our principals, they're, they're also visiting other principals' uh, BLT yeah, meetings. Mm -hmm. We've got our high school principals going down and, and, and watching our, our, our BLT meetings at the elementary level, uh, and vice versa. Can you give me a couple examples of the DLT non-negotiables? Our DLT non-negotiables, the DLT will identify and promote evidence-based improvement strategies. The DLT practices emphasize continuous reflection, collaboration, and innovation. Um, and we, we made some notes about this. The diversity of the Pickerington Schools community is a powerful lever to achieve positive outcomes for all students. The work of the DLT is defined by policies, practices, and relationships that ensure each child is healthy, safe, engaged, supported, and challenged. Um, one of our primary functions also is to eliminate institutional barriers to student success. Things like having more students take AP classes through Lead Higher, getting rid of prereqs uh, so for classes, uh, letting kids attempt and take classes that maybe, you know, in the past we wouldn't have done. Uh, trying to get rid of, uh, we used to have things like our sixth grade band was before school, which required parents to transport. Now we put it within the school day so that we could have all students participate. Um, intervention out used to be after school and it would require parent transportation. Now we've got an E and I period embedded in the school day. Right. Lots of adaptive technology that we found that it's got such a value to it that we're now giving it to all kids. Sharon said we had 59 different languages, so we've got ways to translate all that material. So we're actually looking at, do they know the content or is the language the barrier? I mean, it's just a slew of things to remove those barriers. Are there other state initiatives that Pickerington's been involved in that have contributed to building the professional capital? We are part of OPEP, mm -hmm. with the, the Parapros, and that has really changed uh, the mindset, I think, with a lot of our paraprofessionals uh, being involved in the training. Uh, they see their value. We want them to feel valued. Part of our plan was to get a parapro on a TPT, BLT, DLT, which we are working to do. Um, so that's been something that I definitely feel has built that capacity.
Thank and you, we've tried to incorporate them more into our professional development. Oh, yeah. More involved in, 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 uh, in, 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 well, their schedule itself, you know, increasing mm -hmm. their, their, their time so that we can get them more involved in, uh, in, in the professional development that we're providing for teachers. Okay, that's great. Thinking about where you are now and where you want to be in five years, thinking about this notion of building the, the adult mm -hmm. capacity, the professional capital, where, where do you want to go? We would really like to get to the idea of that holy grail of personalized learning for every single kid uh, and personalized professional learning for every single one of our teachers. Um, so what does that take to get there and how do we have to modernize some of our teaching practices? Uh, how do we have to use data to know where each one of those kids um, and each one of those teachers is at? What I would like to see would be that teachers could embrace the collaborative spirit, not just teachers, principals, all of us, just that open, open spirit, I guess, of we're all in it together for the same purpose. That would be epitome for me. I'm hopeful that with OTAS, the, the teacher evaluation framework in Ohio is going to mm -hmm. change from, you know, 50% um, um, final summative rating being based on um, student growth or assessments to now it's it's more of a holistic view mm -hmm. using the you know the standards for the teaching professional that that's part of the rubric. My hope is that that transition will really put the spotlight on improving instruction. Is there anything that you want to get in the mix? I mean, it isn't. It, we've done a lot of work and we've come a long way, but there's there's still work to be done. One of the things that the process does is that if we're all in it and we understand it, it doesn't matter who leaves or comes or goes. Because we've yes. been through, what, three, four superintendents? Since I've this? been at district office. With we OIP having it. OIP, three or four? Yeah. If you've got that down as a system and you've trained your principals and your teachers are buying in to how successful they can become by working that way, that it doesn't matter which one of us goes somewhere or moves or retires. <laughs> District office level or voting level. Correct, you, you correct. Put a new principal in which we, exactly. we have as well. There's already mm -hmm. a plan in place for mm -hmm. improvement. That's a good point. Yeah, that's what we rarely get to in this business, right? Right. You know, even though yeah. we talk about sustainability and scalability, right. it often comes down to being a person dependent kind of process, unfortunately, but it sounds like you've built the foundation for it. So there you have it, one account of what's going on in Pickerington, and it's relevant to professional capital. What do you think, Lynn? You know, it seems like they started with the close your door mentality, so common to schools, and they're pretty frank in saying that not everyone has opened their door yet. Still, there's a lot of collaborative work going on, and it seems pretty strong by comparison to what's going on in many other districts. I mean, it looks like they've gone way beyond getting TBTs and BLTs and DLTs up and running, right? They seem to be talking about real issues and actually debating them, and that's reported to be pretty difficult. I think it's clear evidence that they're working really hard in the realm of building their decisional capital skills. I mean, think about it. What's our purpose for collaboration? It's not just because we enjoy each other's company. We collaborate in order to make decisions and not just any decisions. Our collaboration helps us make good decisions. 
making good decisions requires the TBTs, the BLT, and the DLT to practice on focusing on their essential questions and issues and thinking about what strategies they want to try and why. It's tough work for any group, especially when they're confronting the kinds of issues that are the very core or the very heart of our work in schools today. So we can all understand this close my door mentality. It takes a lot of courage to open the door and deal with those difficult issues together. You have to dedicate time to collaboration and keep at it when the conversations become really difficult. For my part, it looks like Pickerington, which is in my region, starts with a human capital advantage. And that is they're a district that is able to recruit teachers actively. And it's a place that looks attractive to teachers. It's a growing suburban community and it's close to a major Ohio city. But the educators in Pickerington do much more than that. They build a collaborative mindset in both their new hires and in their continuing staff. And uh, I was impressed by what they had to say about how they use Parapros. They really do a great job. And yes, they have a human capital advantage. But that's not what I think is the most important. What seems to be the most important to me is their focus on collaboration. It was interesting to hear about their process for building collaboration, how they started it kind of uh, gingerly and then they persisted with it and how they use OLEC resources to expand the vision and actual practice of their TBTs, BLTs and their district leadership team. All those kinds of capital sound confusing, but it's all tied to real practices. I mean, you can see how it works in Pickerington. Their comments and insights seem to come from real experience and struggle. They're not at any kind of improvement status and they aren't mandated to get help from the SST. And yet they're using OIP to improve even when they aren't required to. They're using OIP because it makes sense to them and they found it's useful in meeting their needs. And why is that? Because they started by identifying where they need to do better. Right. The building capacity is something all districts can do and they can work on doing that. And here in Ohio, the Ohio improvement process is a clear pathway for doing that. There's lots of assistance from us at the SSTs, from OLAC, from OLI4, and from the Parapro project that the Pickerington leaders talked about. Thank you, Rhonda and Lynn. Great insights that help make it real. And thanks to our Pickerington colleagues for sharing the story of their efforts to build capacity on behalf of system-wide learning, every child's learning, widespread professional learning, and what some call systems learning. Also thanks to all of our OLAC listeners for tuning into our podcast about professional capital in Ohio schools and districts. I'm Stanley Dudek. I provide support and technical assistance for OLAC podcasts through the University of Cincinnati's Systems Development and Improvement Center. Credit for our podcast music goes to Expendable Friend, whose musical composition is licensed under an attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 international license.